morning, Bell Shoals family. My name is Corey Abney, and I serve as the lead pastor here. And so grateful to have you joining us, those of you in the room here at our Brandon campus, and those of you connecting with us online from all around the country. We're so glad you're here. And uh, Christine and I want to pass along our congratulations to those of you who have dedicated your children today. Bell Shoals is very much a family of families. And uh, it's always a special day to see um, so many families come and commit their children to the Lord. And uh, I know that's a, a terrifying thing for many families. Christina, I've done that four times. And uh, every single time we did it, uh, it got more and more difficult because we had to hold a baby and corral one other or two other or three others. And uh, we've seen our kids do all kinds of fun things on stage they were not supposed to do. And uh, so it was always a little bit nerve wracking, but uh, it's a very, very special occasion. And, uh, and we're excited for those of you who dedicate your children today. And again, we pass along our congratulations because you know, the family is the, the most important relational community that we have. What happens between uh, the mom and dad and sons and daughters, you know, that, that dynamic of home, of family is the most important relational dynamic that we have. And so we've been talking the past few weeks about how to have an intentional family, about how to family according to God's design. And we've tackled some, some rather important issues. If you missed any of those, you can go to our YouTube channel or our website, or you can subscribe to our podcast and get caught up. But today we're gonna talk about a subject that is a, a, a tension point for many families, for many uh, marriages at some point along the way. And you know, if uh, you've been married any length of time, there are various tension points that arise. I, I know ladies, um, for you every now and then, you, you, you hear your husband say, hey honey, I'm going to fix it. And I just want you to know on behalf of your husbands, he will fix it. And so there's no need for you to remind him every three months, okay? He's going to get to it in his time. <laughs> Trust me, he'll, he'll get there, right? Uh, the, the great theologian Rodney Dangerfield once said, he once said, I, I haven't spoken to my wife in years. I didn't want to interrupt her. <laughs> so whatever your tension point in your marriage, at some point you've had one, Whatever the cause, uh, you're not gonna go through marriage without some tension, some conflict, uh, some difficulty. And today we're gonna talk about really one of the most significant tension points in the context of marriage and family, and that's the issue of money, of managing money and navigating finances. It's actually a top three reason that couples divorce the tension points that arise from finances and frustration with finances or how to navigate it and getting on the same page. It's a, it's a huge issue. Some couples start out uh, carrying significant debt and it's, it's an immediate tension point. For example, the average cost for a wedding in the United States right now is somewhere around $20,000. In the state of Florida, it's closer to 30. Some couples uh, have to navigate debt uh, because of a wedding or because of uh, credit cards and, and even starting out, you know, it's, it's, it's just there, kind of staring them in the face. And then you have other uh, considerations like personality. 
Typically, when we talk about personalities in marriage, opposites attract, and that's a good thing. You don't wanna marry like the same person that you are, that would be frustrating. So it's a good thing in terms of personalities for opposites to attract, but one of the tension points with our personalities that typically, not always, but typically when it comes to finances, one person is a saver and one person is a spender. And that can create some tension points. In other words, one of you will live your life to the fullest at the expense of your financial future. But the other one of you will lead a boring life, (laughs) devoid of meaning and purpose. One is a saver typically, one is a spender. Sometimes there's tension points there. And then you get into navigating careers, maybe making a move, um, having children and realizing the tension point of, of, of budgeting for children and diapers and food and formula and all of that. So there, there, there are just always various types of, of issues to navigate. And so this is a real tension point for many families and wherever you are today, I just wanna offer some biblical perspective concerning God's design for how we manage our money. Because the primary takeaway I wanna give you today is that our money management is a spiritual issue more than a material issue. And we often think of like managing our money as just something that's material or it's just something that's financial. Actually, I want, you to, I want you to see today the first and most pressing concern when it comes to managing what we have is spiritual because managing our money is a spiritual issue more than anything else, more than a material issue. You know, it's interesting as we, as, as we seek to grow in our relationship with God, as we seek to become more like Jesus over the course of our lives, we focus on, on various areas where we struggle, right? And then we try to game plan and we try to lean into resources and relationships that will help us. And so if you're trying to be more healthy, try to take better care of your body, you game plan and you maybe lay out an exercise routine or a diet or something that you're changing up, you're gonna game plan to change that and improve your overall health. If you're struggling with lust, it's something we've talked about in this series with with, uh, all of the temptation that comes through technology today. Well, you game plan, you get accountability, you you manage your devices differently and, and, and you game plan. But here's what's so interesting. When it comes to money, so often we think about that driving in us to compare ourselves to others, to, to um, gain some type of identity or significance based on how much we have and how we fit into the culture around us. You know, a lot of times we, we don't recognize the struggle and we don't game plan to navigate it. We don't think of greed or coveting as things that we have to be on guard against and things that can wreck our souls and shift our identity away from the Lord. And so it's interesting, we don't often think of, 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 of money or finances as a spiritual issue, but it really is. That's why, by the way, in the 10 commandments, think about this, like the, the big 10, I mean, the 10 moral laws that God gave as the foundation of the nation of Israel in the 10 commandments, God gave the command not to covet your neighbor's house. And back then they didn't even have three car garages. <laughs> All right, I mean, I mean, who knows what their houses were like. And, and God says, I mean, just think about this. He's speaking to the heart. Every single one of the 10 commandments speak to the heart. And in the 10, the big 10 right there is a command 
not to let your heart drift in such a way that you gain your identity through your social standing. And you try to match your financial present and future with someone else. Right there in the Ten Commandments. And so we think of finances so often as a material issue. I want you to see they know it's a spiritual issue. It relates first and foremost to who we are in Christ and then how we leverage all that he entrusts to us for his honor and his glory. And when we follow his plan, what we find is a freedom and a fulfillment that we cannot have any other way. And I wanna, I wanna outline for you some of what that game plan is like. And we're gonna hit a number of things today at a, at a pretty high level. We're not gonna be able to dig overly deep into any one of these areas, but I, I, I'm, I'm hitting on some things today that I believe are incredibly relevant to our society. And especially to those of you who are just starting out, or maybe you're navigating some tension points when it comes to how you manage what God has entrusted to you, okay? Because it is a spiritual issue more than a material one. So let me, let me jump in. I'm gonna try to lay out seven practical takeaways that we see in terms of God's design for managing our money. Okay, first of all, I want you to see that, that we are simply stewards of what we possess. We are not owners. Now, this isn't an action item as much as it is a perspective changer. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves that our perspective on what we have is all wrong. We don't own anything. God owns everything. We are stewards. We are not owners. So we're going to start here with just a, maybe a perspective shift. We want to make sure we understand that what we have is not actually ours. It's, it's all the Lord's and it's all through his grace and enabling what he's entrusted to us. Let me give you a, a critical psalm here, Psalm 50. It's actually one of my favorite psalms. It's a, it's a psalm of rebuke where God is rebuking Israel, not for their worship, not for their offerings, not for what they're giving, because they're doing it all based on what God told them to do, but they're doing it out of routine and not out of sincerity or generosity. And so God rebukes them because Israel had fallen prey. I know this is gonna be hard to believe, but this is true. They had fallen prey to the thinking of pagan nations that one of the reasons they, they gave sacrifices to God is because he needed the food to survive. <laughs> and so God gives them a little rebuke, okay? And here's what he says in Psalm 50. He says, my people, listen as I speak and hear my charges against you, O Israel, for I am God your God. He says, I have no complaint about your sacrifices or the burnt offerings that you constantly offer. In other words, you're coming to church, you're in a life group, you're, 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 you're giving uh, out of what I have uh, entrusted to you. I have no complaint uh, with what you're doing. You're doing what you should be doing. But here's what he, here's what he says, I, I have a huge problem with your perspective. He says, look at this. I don't need the bulls from your barns or the goats from your pens for all of the animals of the forest are mine and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. We, we love to quote that scripture. If, we, if you've been around Christianity a while, you probably heard that, that God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. That, that's given in the context of rebuke. God's saying, I don't need what you have. 
I don't need your food. I don't need your financial resources. I own everything. That's what he's saying. I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Look at this. He says, I know every bird on the mountains. All the animals of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, you peon. I, I own the world and everything in it. Do I eat the meat of bulls? Do I drink the blood of goats? No, I own everything. Here's what God is saying. If I were hungry, which I'm not, but if I were hungry, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you and ask you for food. I, I, I have 24 seven access to Chick-fil-A. I am the sovereign God of the universe. I can even get a chicken sandwich from Chick-fil-A on Sunday, okay? God is like, I do whatever I want. He's rebuking them. He's like, okay, you're chipping in your offering and yeah, you're going to church, but your heart's not in it and you're giving out of some perspective that somehow you're doing me a favor. Like, no, God's like, I built all this out for you because you need me. I don't need you. And so then he says this, check this out. He says, make thankfulness your sacrifice to God and keep the vows you make to the Most High. God says, you know, you, you know why I'm asking you to give and be generous? Do you know why I'm asking you to steward well what I've given to you? So that you'll learn to cultivate a spirit of gratitude, not greed. So that you'll tether your identity to me and not your stuff. I don't need what you have. You need me and what I give and you need to cultivate a spirit of generosity so that your heart is tethered to the giver of all good things. So God's like, you need to adjust your thinking here. You don't own anything, I own everything. And, and that's where we start when we approach the issue of managing our money. We are simply managing what God's given to us. We don't own any of it and we're not taking any of it with us when we leave this earth, right? So we are stewards, we are not owners. Okay, secondly, I want you to see then that we should adjust our expectations, especially when we're starting out, to the reality of where we start, not where our parents finish. If you're just starting out, you're a young professional, you're a college student, you're newly married, you're kind of getting things rolling in terms of your family, let me just encourage you today to, to push back against the pressure and the temptation to start where your parents finished. Your parents worked very, very hard over the course of many, many years to get where they are today. And it's unreasonable to think that you will start where they ended. <laughs> no, 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 listen, they've, they've sacrificed much. They spent a lot of money on you, by the way, which is one of the reasons they're so glad you're out of the house. Now they can spend money on themselves and more importantly, your children, their grandchildren. And, and that's a wonderful season of life. But, but there's a, I just think there's a big pressure today in our culture because we are so blessed as a society. I'm grateful for that. But, but there's this pressure that somehow I've got to start where my parents finish and I, I've got to have everything I had growing up. Well, no, it, I, sometimes it may work that way. I'm just saying a lot of times it does not. And we need to manage our expectations not to start where, where your parents, who for 20 and 30 and 40 years, they, they worked hard and got to a place where, where, where most of us aren't gonna start. We have to adjust that expectation because here, here's, what, here's what God's word teaches us. Wealth is built 
over time. That's how we all think of this. I know there are exceptions to this, but, but for most of us, wealth is something that's built over time. That's how we should see it. Proverbs 13, 11 says this, wealth from get rich quick schemes quickly disappears, but wealth from hard work grows over time. Proverbs 28, the trustworthy person will get a rich reward, but a person who wants quick riches will get into trouble. What's the biblical prescription for building wealth? Here it is, hard work. And you build wealth over time. So let me give you a third takeaway related to that. Then we're gonna build this wealth over time with hard work and not easy handouts. Let me give you another concern I have for our society that, that there's a whole generation of people who are fostering, fostering a, a, a laziness that's born out of entitlement. And my concern is this generation, not anyone in particular, but just, just, just movement in our society that somehow you can have wealth and financial security without hard work. And if there is such a thing as having financial security through the sweat and hard work of someone else, hey, I'm all for it. I can give you my address. You can just send me the checks. I mean, all of us would love just to have a windfall somehow without actually having to work for it. Let me just give you a little piece of advice. That's not the real world. No, a biblical prescription for how you build wealth is, again, manage your expectations. Don't expect to start where someone else finished and, and then understand this is going to take time and wisdom and energy because the biblical perspective is that we build wealth over time. By the way, God's not anti-wealth. He's not anti-financial security. Some of the most godly men and women in the, in the Bible were some of the most wealthy. So, so there's no issue with that whatsoever. I think the issue for us and our generation is this notion that somehow you're gonna get it quickly and easily and not through a lot of hard work and a lot of diligence. And some of the most wealthy people I know are also some of the most godly people I know. And... And I've had the privilege of having some very meaningful friendships with some people who've been very blessed. But you know what I've seen? They've worked very, very, very hard. They have sacrificed much. They've taken on education and training and all kinds of stuff to build businesses or to show expertise in a certain field. And I'm, I'm concerned for our society. Somehow we're, we're seeing those who are wealthy and those who work hard as somehow enemies of the common man when the reality is, no, all of us should do our very, very best with what we're doing in life and to be wise and generous and, and to manage what God's entrusted to us well. In other words, we shouldn't be envious of others and we shouldn't expect to have a windfall from others for something that we're not willing to work for ourselves. The Proverbs speak this. Let me, let me show you Proverbs 6. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. <laughs> I don't even, the, uh, that's, a, that's a unique translation of that word. It's actually the old word sluggard, if you're familiar with that, which we don't really use today. So I love this. Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bum, is how I would say it. Um, learn from their ways and become wise. Look at this. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. Proverbs 13, four says this, lazy people want much, but get little. But those who work hard will prosper. 
Proverbs 12, 24, work hard and become a leader or be lazy and become a slave. Proverbs 10, 4, lazy people are soon poor and hard workers get rich. And so, and so how do we think about our financial future? Well, we, we start with the perspective that we're stewards, not owners, but then we have to understand we can't expect to start where our parents finished and we, and we have to commit to hard work and diligence, not just easy handouts. Accumulating wealth over time takes time and it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of diligence. And again, I would love the windfall. That's just not the normal course of life. I don't know, I grew up in elementary school. You know, you'd go into class the first week of school and the teacher would ask, what do you wanna be when you grow up? And I mean, it was, I don't know, I wanna be a police officer, I wanna be a firefighter, something like that. And today, uh, this is, we hear this a lot. We hear kids saying, I wanna be a YouTuber. And some of you are like, that's a job. Yeah, that's a real thing. And there are some people making millions of dollars a year off advertising revenue and appearance fees who are gaming and making these funny videos and all that. It's hilarious, you know, and it's, it's a thing. That's a thing. But that's not a normal thing. <laughs> and if the perspective is, hey, basically, I'm gonna get rich playing games and filming and editing funny videos all of my life. That's not the best strategy for success, probably. <laughs> Sometimes we like to pull from different fields, like, you know, um, like, like people who are just uniquely gifted, talented, they've had some unique opportunities and they've excelled. And we say, yeah, that's what I'm gonna do, right? And sometimes as parents, we even put this pressure on our kids. Like, yeah, you're gonna be the next big league superstar, the next NBA player. And I'm, you know, I think for my kids, they're gonna be the next great NFL star, except my boys weigh like 42 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> like if they ever got hit, they would break into pieces, right? So something with this pressure. And, and, and here's the reality. Like there are exceptions among us, but I, I would always caution you to build a life on the exceptions. You know what's normal? You know what's normal in terms of having financial freedom and, and, and stewarding your resources in a way that honors the Lord? You know what's normal? I know there are exceptions. You know what's normal? You, you need to work hard. You need to get a job. You need to get some kind of training or some type of education. Like, you gotta work. I, I just don't know of a way forward where it's like, hey, you're always gonna get to do only what you want to do. Now, you know what? You know what? You know why we call it work? Because you're gonna have to do some things you don't wanna do. That's what the fall of mankind guaranteed for us. Not that we would work because that happened before the fall, but that our work would be frustrating. And you say, well, yeah, I'm gonna join the Bell Shoals staff team then because when you work in ministry and work with people, you don't have any frustrations. That's exactly right. It's wonderful. There's no difficulties, no frustrations. Everyone's awesome all of the time. No challenging decisions, no criticism. So I'm just saying we call it work because there are times it is frustrating. But here, here's, here's my advice to you. If, if you are exceptionally gifted, talented, if you have an exceptional opportunity and, and if the Lord blesses that, that's great. But, but most of us should plan on not starting where our parents finished and, 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 and we better plan on working hard and applying ourselves to whatever we're doing as to the Lord and not for men because, because the biblical prescription is we accumulate wealth over time through hard work, not easy handouts.
Okay, that's what we see. Let me, let me, let me give you a, a, a fourth takeaway. Then we keep building on these now. And then as we're navigating our families, our marriages, right, we build a bright future with a plan, not with a prayer. Now, I worded this intentionally to maybe get a little reaction from you. Oh, no, pastor's saying we shouldn't pray. No, I'm not saying you shouldn't pray. What I'm saying is if, if your plan for your financial freedom and your financial future is well, I'm sure God's going to take care of me. You're ignoring much of what God has already entrusted to you in order to take care of you. Like if your only plan is, oh, you know, whatever, I'm, just, I'm sure God's got it. Well, I'm sure God's got it too. He, again, he, he's, he's well in control of the planet. But he's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you opportunities. And, and we understand as Christ followers that there's a balance between leaning into God's sovereignty and his provision and protection and also applying what he's entrusted to us responsibly so that not only are we leaning into his providence, but we're showing due diligence. These things work together. They don't work away from each other. And I've met people over the years, I've counseled people over the years who've made some really, really stupid decisions. And they've said, well, you know, I just, no, I, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it's gonna work out. <laughs> How did a guy one time quit his job because he wanted to start a ministry and he came to me and he, he asked me to start funding his ministry because he had no income. I said, I have some advice for you. I don't know if you regard this as spiritual. I regard this as very spiritual. You ought to get a job. Like you're not providing for your family. Like you had a job, you got rid of your job, chasing a whim, and now you're coming to me asking for money because you don't have a job. Does any of this make sense? Like sometimes the most spiritual advice you can take is the obvious practical advice of doing what God has said to do, which is to work. <laughs> Apply yourself and to plan for your future. Jesus said it like this in Luke 14. He says, don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin constructing a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise you will completely or complete only the foundation before running out of money and then everyone will laugh at you. <laughs> Jesus is like, you need to plan. You need to count the cost. You need to exercise the knowledge, the wisdom, the talent, the gifts that you have and apply God's word to those things for leaning into his providence, but also showing your due diligence and, and have a plan. Not having a plan is planning to fail, right? And so I wanna encourage you, listen, if you're in a pinch today, if you're feeling a tension point today, I wanna encourage you to go back to the drawing board and we're happy to help you with this. We have people here on our team who are really, really good at this. We'd love to help, but you need to get on a budget. And if you're the spender in your family, you're like, no! You see this as legalistic and restricting and mean. And if you're the savior, you're like, I've been trying to tell you this for all this time and you didn't listen to me. And okay, I get it. But here's the thing, you can budget with margin. You can budget with a miscellaneous in there because things always come up. But, but I wanna encourage you to take ownership of what the Lord has entrusted to you because as a good steward, that is what is required of us. And there's no way you can do that without having some type of game plan and monitoring where your spending is going and how you are 
utilizing your income. That's so very important. And, and I wanna encourage you, especially if you're young, like you're starting out, you're a young professional, you're newly married. Hey, start that pattern now. So I remember when I was in that life stage, my wife made $17,000 a year for her very first job teaching at a Christian school. And I was going to seminary full-time for my master's degree. And I'm doing odd and end jobs at night to make ends meet and help pay my tuition. And my wife's working during the day and we're, we're living on love, right? I'll never forget one day I went by the golden arches and I strolled in there and I got, I got that quarter pounder meal. I think it's the number two meal. And it's about $5 at the time, because this is a long time ago. It's about $5 at the time. And, and I just have to tell on myself here, this is a true story. It ended up costing me $35. Because a couple weeks after I bought that meal, my wife came in and she said, I need to talk to you. That's never good. My wife's never come in and said, hey, I need to talk to you. And it's, I just wanna tell you how much I love you. It just hit me, I love you so much. I had to come in and tell you with this particular tone, how much I love you, I need to talk to you. So I'm like, okay, what I do? That's my default response. She said, hey, hey, can we talk a second? What I do, <laughs> right? And I'll tell you what I did that time. I bought a quarter pounder cheese meal for $5 with less than $5 on my bank account. And she informed me that ended up costing $35 because of the overdraft fee. Some of you were like, what's an overdraft fee? Okay, here's how we used to do it, okay? <laughs> there wasn't any kind of like, like, okay, they just take it out of your other accounts. Even if there were, we didn't have any other accounts, okay? So it was just like, like they just hit you. Like, like man, if you overdrafted, like, bam, like that's a $30 fee. And, and that was a $35 quarter pounder meal. Because if you haven't figured it out yet, I'm the fun one in my family and my wife is the mean one, okay? And um, I'm like, oh man, yeah. I mean, listen, we were at a point, I'm, it's like, yeah, yeah, we, she's like, honey, we've talked about this. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, we have talked about it, but I was hungry. And uh, I'll never forget the $35 quarter pounder meal. <laughs> Sometimes I still think about that when I get the $8 quarter pounder <laughs> meal now, right? If you don't have a plan, if you don't have a budget, if you're not monitoring, tracking, overseeing, then you really can't know how well you're stewarding what God's entrusted to you. And, and, and so it's important that, that we see ourselves as stewards, not owners. It's important that we don't expect to start where our parents finish, that we commit to building wealth with hard work, not easy handouts. And then we have a plan, not just a whimsical prayer. All right, fifth, make a note of this. And, and this is huge. Now this is for all of us, okay? No matter what stage you're, you're in, this is huge. That our purchasing decisions be about affording a product, not a payment. Man, our society has gone hog wild with this one. And if you're just starting out, let me tell you what's gonna happen, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about a mortgage, I'm not talking about a house, I'm not talking about something that's gonna, that's gonna increase in value. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about going to the car dealership I'm, and overspending. I'm, I'm talking about going to the furniture store. I'm I mean, just pretty much anywhere you go. Here, here's what's gonna happen, okay? I'm talking about doing some Christmas shopping and have somebody push uh, the latest credit card on you. He, here's what's gonna, I'm just telling you, here's what's gonna happen. If you've never experienced this, when you go to these places, you're gonna be highly pressured to give them a number that you're looking to pay monthly. That's what our whole society is built around. 
getting you to say, well, what are you looking to pay monthly? They're not concerned with what you can't afford overall, the concern with what you can pay monthly. And there are many, many, many couples and families now who are tied in to a financial model that's built on affording monthly payments, not necessarily the full products. And here's biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom is if you can't afford the product, don't take on the payment. Our cultural wisdom tells you if you can afford the payment, you can have the product. Well, no, you might not be able to afford the product. I'll never forget, my wife and I were buying something a few years ago and um, I was negotiating something and, and, um, and this person kept trying to push me into a payment. Well, no, I understand. I was like, no, 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 we've, we've saved for years and um, no, I'm just gonna, we're, this is what we're gonna do. And uh, this, this salesperson keeps looking at me like I am an alien. And just keeps, yeah, I understand, but you could, but if you just put this much down, you know, then you wouldn't have to spend that cash. You could keep, you know, he's like giving me financial. I'm like, are you a financial advisor? And I just kept saying, no, 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 no. Hey, I appreciate that. No, here's the deal. We're just, you don't, I said, dude, you don't understand. Like we've been saying for years. Okay. And, and he finally looked at me, this person, and he says, you know what? You're not like most people I deal with. I don't know what to do with you. And I'm like, I hear that all the time, buddy. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, and I mean, this person literally blown away that someone would say, hey, I'm not interested in taking on more interest in debt. I'm, I'm telling you, this, like, this has been years in the making here. And it wasn't a major thing, but, but to this person, he was like, like yeah, this is not my world. And, and, and I see that in my kids. You know, you just see this now, 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 now. And, and, and my, my concern is that there are a lot of people who get into a lot of trouble because they, they realize, hey, I can take on a payment without thinking about whether or not they can afford the product. And when you take on a certain number of payments over time with compounding interest, here's what happens. You end up not being able to afford much of anything. And, and, and let, me, let me give you a scripture here that I, I just, I'm just gonna give you one here. I think it's so profound. Proverbs 22, seven, look at this. Just as the rich rule the poor, so the borrower is servant to the lender. You say, I've heard that before. Who wrote that? Well, you know, Solomon wrote a lot of the Proverbs. This particular proverb was written by a man named Dave Ramsey. And uh, Dave Ramsey wrote, wrote this proverb years ago. <laughs> um, no, it, but boy, you've heard, maybe if you're familiar with Dave Ramsey, he gives a lot of good financial advice. My wife and I actually have benefited greatly from his stuff. It's one of the tools we recommend here at Bell Shoals, but um, man, that's a great verse of scripture. Dave Ramsey also has a plan if you're in debt to get out of debt and snowball and all that. And, and again, we can help you with that. But, but here's another thing Dave Ramsey says here, I think it's so helpful. If you want to live like no one else, you've got to go through a season of your life where you have to live like no one else. And that means you might not drive the latest and the greatest. It, it means, you know, like your wardrobe might look a little different or, it, you know, it, it just you, got, you might have to live like nobody else for a season. My wife and I have done that. There's been seasons, I mean, where it's just, yeah, we're just have to live like nobody else. That's okay. Our identity can't be connected to our stuff. 
And I don't know where you are today, you know, but if you're in that stage where you feel like you've got to keep up, got to keep up, you want, you want, you want, we're constantly bombarded with what's new and awesome. I love what's new and awesome as much as you do. But here's the reality. You'll never get to where you need to be, which is to live really like most people do not live, if you're not willing to go through a season early on in your, in your family where you're not living like everybody else is living. You're not overbuying, you're not overspending, you're not focused on payments, you're focused on products, and, and you're organizing your financial future based on God's design for you, and, um, and that's huge. So some of you may need to go back to the drawing board, give this some more thought, but God's design is not that any of us be a servant to the lender, but that, but that we manage what we have in a way that is unique and beneficial in the long run. We don't wanna sacrifice the long-term for the short-term. That, that's God's design for you, okay? And then let me, let me give you two more quick takeaways that relate more now to the heart and, and long-term. Let me, let me speak you know, kind of long-term, then what do we wanna do? Well, here, here's what you'll find, that your greatest joy with what you have is in giving, not in gaining. Another biblical principle. You know, God's always had a heart for those in need. God's always um, promised to take care of his people, and certainly he does. And, and I want you to see, even going back to the days of the Old Testament, right? And God's always had a heart for those in need. Proverbs 14, those who oppress the poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. Proverbs 21, those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. And then I love what Paul says to the Ephesian elders, the church in Ephesus there as he's leaving them. He's talking to them about kind of keep going, like keep on, even though I'm leaving, you keep going. And he, he says, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard, again, hard work. And then he says, you should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that through your hard work, you're helping others because Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I just wanna encourage you with this, that, that one of the primary reasons you ought to seek to steward well what God's entrusted to you, to live early on in your marriage like no one else, so that later on in your marriage, you can live like no one else, is because you will never find any greater joy with what you have than when you show generosity to others. That is the greatest thing ever. Well, let me say it this way, okay? Christmas is way more fun as a parent than it is a child. And I love getting gifts. I'll be here Christmas Eve for three services and I'll, no, I'm teasing. I love, for, I love getting, okay, but you know what I love more than getting, giving? Oh man, Christmas in my house is a party, man. Like we, you know, Christmas Eve's a big work day, big, big day for us. And then we go out to eat as a family afterward. And, and then we go home that night. There's all kinds of stuff you can do now. You can even track where Santa is through NORAD. How awesome is that, right? So you got the screen up and then, and then, and then your kids make cookies for that special someone. And if you end up stealing them, that's awesome, right? So you get free cookies and then, and then you get all this enthusiasm, what you're giving and then you get up the next day and there's like all this joy and excitement and we do all kinds of fun stuff. And I love to play tricks on the kids. One year I opened up an iron skillet and that was hilarious for my parents. But, um, you know, and then you do that and so we do things and organize. It's just so much fun to give, to see the excitement and, oh man, whew. Is it Christmas? You know, what, you know what I'm talking about Christmas? I was in the store the other day and that Christmas stuff up. What is wrong with our nation? Okay, anyway. It's so much fun to give. I mean, just to see the, it is so, trust me, if you're not a parent, you're like, you know, you're like, no, I like to get all my stuff. Hey, I get it. I'm just telling you that you're coming into a life stage. It is so much fun to give. And, um, and, 
And, and that's what Paul was saying to the Ephesian elders. Hey, we're working hard. You know, wealth doesn't come <laughs> just by falling into our laps. Like I've shown you how, how, how you gain by working hard, but I've also shown you that you're gaining. It's ultimately about giving. It's not just about getting. And remember what Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's why, listen, at Bell Shoals, man, we believe in radical generosity. Not foolish generosity, but a generosity that literally is seeing lives changed every single week. And to be a part of that, just to be a small part of that, it's just amazing. I'll share this here in a couple of weeks, but listen, this is a little sneak preview. Um, In the past year, Bell Shoals has added almost 500 new members, 457 new members just in the past year. We've seen 126 people baptized. We've we've seen God move in incredible ways. And and, and to think, those of you who are on board, you're giving, you're you're investing in in the kingdom, that's your win, that's our win. Every life changed, every missionary supported, every church planted, right? That's what we're all a part of. It's amazing. It is amazing. And, um, and I'll just tell you, those of you starting out, man, my wife and I, making $17,000 a year, we learned the importance of giving. That's the first thing that we committed to. That's what the Lord taught Israel, right? That's what the Lord's teaching us. If it's not first, it easily gets pushed to last. And um, my wife and I learned from the earliest years together, you know, the first check we write, which now we don't even have to write checks, you know. <laughs> it's an automatic withdrawal. And it's awesome, you know, to know that that's happening. But it's the very first check that's, that goes to the Lord. And, and I'll just tell you this. I used to hear stories about missionaries being provided for. And I'll tell you, being, being a pastor of a little, little church starting out and Man, there were weeks um, we'd have some of our sweet members bring vegetables from their gardens. I remember one occasion we had a family bring just some groceries to us and um, I'll just say it was timely. And, and we've just seen through our generosity, the Lord has always multiplied it in ways that we could never, ever, ever do on our own. It's incredible. And, and you, 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 you look at what you have and, and if you, this is where it's a spiritual issue. It's not just a material issue. If you, if you really come to believe, yeah, this isn't mine, it's the Lord's. I'm just a steward. Then the very first thing is, you know what? For us to be healthy financially, for us to have a plan that works, the very first thing is I'm gonna give to the Lord. That, that's what he's communicated to us. And I wanna encourage you. Some of you are in a life stage where maybe you've been through some kind of difficulty and you're at a place like, I don't know how, I don't have much to give. Here's the great, here's the awesome thing about the Lord. It's never been about an amount and it's never been about a percentage when it comes to the New Testament. You know what it's about? The condition of your heart. It's not about a percentage. It's not about an amount. It's not about an income level. It's about being a good steward and leaning into the joy of generosity. There's nothing better. And and so to, to think holistically on how to leverage what we have for the Lord then, then, then we have to understand that, that, that to give in this way is to be invested. And when you're invested, you're involved. And when you're involved, you make a difference. And, um, and that's that God's designed for us. And that, that gets us to the last takeaway today, that we should always find our true contentment in Christ, not our circumstances. Say, so, okay, well, that doesn't really have to do with money. Well, actually it does, because the reality is if, if we're anchored, as we said at the very beginning, on Christ, he's our identity. He's our source of joy. 
he is our source of fulfillment, then everything else we have, we're able to hold on to loosely. Someone said, I don't know who, that wealth is the servant of a wise man, but the master of a fool. That's a good word. Proverbs 30 says this, God, I beg two favors from you. First of all, help me never to tell a lie. Keep me from falsehood. Secondly, give me neither poverty or riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow too rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. Hebrews 13, five says this, don't love money, but rather be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you and I will never abandon you. The scripture teaches us to be balanced and to always anchor our contentment and our fulfillment to our relationship with Jesus. Because here's the reality, every single one of us who know Jesus as Savior have a future home where we will have everything we need. Everything we need is there in Christ. There is coming a day our work will no longer be frustrating. There is coming a day when we will no longer compare ourselves to the Joneses or anybody else. There is coming a day when we will have peace and joy like we've never, ever known it before. And you know why we're gonna get to that day? Those of us who know Jesus, because of what he gave. He gave his own life for you and me. He gave so that you and I could have our sins forgiven and we could know the joy of eternal life. He gave of himself so that we would no longer build our futures around things that don't ultimately matter and that we can't take with us when we die. He gave so that we could literally know the beauty and the blessing of forgiveness and of perfect fulfillment in him. 